the links between faith and fortune. Mr. Webster says this about fortune. A hypothetical often personified force or power that favorably or unfavorably governs the events of one's life. You know, we hear people say, well, we had good fortune. But then it gets a little more personal to us. And like I said this morning, when we think about topics such as these, no one's immune. I think a lot of times we hear messages, we think they're for somebody else, that they're not going to be for us, and we might even poke our spouse or somebody across the table or uh, as Brother Rich looks up in the balcony thinking, Brother, this message is for you. But nonetheless, you see what I'm saying? This, this whole thing, because it involves this, and, and who doesn't love this? We can say we don't, but nonetheless, we got to have this to survive. It, it's become such a part of our life. And what God, God's concerned about is how you're using what he's given you, and that's, that's what we're, we're talking about, about this morning. So this second part of this definition from Webster a person's condition or standing in life determined by material possession or financial wealth. Extensive amounts of material possessions or money, wealth, material or financial success. I don't know, it's been years ago, and now that I'm getting to the point at this age, I can remember shows or music to young people, and they look at me with that deer in the headlights look and say, what are you talking about? Does anybody remember a movie with a guy named Robin, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Well, he never come to my house. But nonetheless, one of those shows that really stuck out with me, they were in the French Riviera. And here was these millionaires sitting on these 90 to 120-foot yachts. And the point he was making, none of them looked happy. That was, the, they all, I don't know, they all looked bored or whatever, but it, I, I'll, never, I'll never forget that, the look on their faces, because in that, that was kind of the point that he was making, that they really weren't happy. But I'll guarantee you, if I woke up and somebody left a million bucks on my kitchen table, I'd be smiling. I don't know about you, but you know how it is. Swindoll says this about fortune. Money, 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 stuff that has a price tag, material goods tangible things, and behind all this, the desire to own, to possess, to amass wealth, to get rich, and let's face it, to look rich. This is that deep-seated craving to impress others as well as to scratch the old itch for more, always more. Enough is never enough. Contentment is out of the question. Are you ever content in your life as you think about it? Are there times in your life that that you can sit in your favorite chair or on your deck or whatever, and you are at peace with the world, totally content. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content, whatever the situation is actually, in good, in bad, in want or with less or the point that he was trying to make. I, I think God wants us to live like that. But in this world in which we live, sometimes it's, it's off, often hard. All this seems so clear on paper. You color it green and call it greed, plain and simple. It's easy to analyze at this objective moment. It's obvious. But somehow when we, we slip into the mainstream of life and we see what's going on around us and those we work with and those we live by and we begin to swim against that current that surrounds us and it tugs at us. And before long, we're swept up in it and we're plunged going down the same road of everybody else in the United States of America, actually. 
To break free and chart an alternative course, never subtle, never easy, requires nothing less than the power of Almighty God because nobody can withstand greed and survive without a fight. It, it, it dies a slow, painful death, and you see it in little kids. You can see that in that little girl's eyes. These are my dolls, and if you touch them, I'll kill you on the spot. <laughs> Look at her eyes. That's why I don't know her. That picture's funny, but that's what she's saying. She says, nobody go touch these babies. These, are, these belong to me. And I, I don't know, I don't have any dolls, but nonetheless, I, I'm sure that, that we have things like that in our life. Alison Cockburn, Scottish poet, 1713, 1794, realized this when she wrote these profound words in her work, Flowers of the Forest. I've seen the smiling of fortune, beguiling. I felt all its favors and found its decay. There's a downside to fortune, and Jesus addressed this in Luke 12, 15, when he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's the New King James Version. New Living Translation, same verse, puts it this way. Then he said, Beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. God measures our lives by how we manage what he allows us to have and how generous we are with his stuff. See, when you hear the word steward in the Bible, that's what we are. We're stewards, and it's a word for manager. So God looks at us in our lives, and he gives us these things, and he says, now you manage them. I'm not, I'm not going to interfere with you in a sense. I, I, the Holy Spirit will talk to you and help you to give and to be generous, but I'm not going to force you to do that. These are yours. You do with them what you will. And God, in the end, kind of, you know, and he says, don't forget me. That's the point. But that link, the link between faith and fortune is generosity. It's how giving we are. That, that's the difference between the two. That is what brings those together, our fortune and our faith. Of course, preachers are always being accused about jokes about monies and offerings and whatever, and sometimes with tongue-in-cheek, I will say to you, keep those cards and letters, letters coming. You know, that's, it's that kind of thing. And, you know, uh, and I've heard preachers preach this before, Hey, if you're going to be on vacation or be gone, make sure you send your tie then, you know. That's that kind of thing. But uh, it's like this story. A very wealthy man and his wife were sole survivors of a cruise ship disaster on the high seas. So they make it to this tiny island in the middle of the Pacific. There's nothing there but sand and palm trees, and that's it. So while the wife is wringing her hands and she is wailing in despair, her husband is very serene and very peaceful. How can you be so calm in this terrible situation, she cries, irritated by his peaceful demeanor. We will never be found. You and I are going to die on this island. The man says, don't worry. I pledged $100,000 to Crossroads this year, and Kurt Howell will find us in no time. <laughs> it's like this joke about Tracy and, and uh, Trudy was up in the office one day, and this pretty well-dressed gentleman comes in, and he comes in. They didn't know him. He said, where's the head hog? They looked at each other and said, oh, sir, we don't call the senior pastor Eddie. We don't call him the head hog. She said, what do you need? He said, well, I was going to give him $50,000 for the church. And Trudy says, wait a minute. I hear the little porker coming now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's about the way it is, too. <laughs> Yeah, things change pretty quick. <laughs> oh, I could go on about that, but I, I better not. But, uh, 
Anyhow, money changes things, doesn't it? It's my favorite funeral joke. These two, uh, these two brothers were about as evil as, as they can get. One of them dies, and of course, they hated church, and they never went to church at all. And um, they went to one of the local preachers and said, because uh, the whole neighbor or the whole community knew these two guys. They were evil upon evil. And asked this preacher, can you preach my brother's funeral? Oh, no. He said, I know you guys, and I can't. He said, I'll give you a 1000 bucks." He said, when is it? <laughs> but he said, the only stipulation, you guys have heard this before. This is, this is a good one. He said, only stipulation. You've got to say that he was a saint in that sermon. So the preacher gets up, but he didn't extol this guy's virtues. He talked about how evil he was and whatever. And at the very end of that sermon, before the final prayer, he said, but compared to his brother, this guy was a saint. <laughs> so he got, got, got the money and got it in, you know. So Jesus adds these true words on this issue in verse 48, Luke 12. You know, Steve talked about reading the word and Pastor Jeff has talked about it a lot. I wonder if we don't read it sometimes because we don't really want to know what it says. Because as we read this, we will find things, and the Holy Spirit will take us to places that convict us, and we're not real big on that conviction business. He said in Luke 12, 48, To whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. And I ask you this morning, are you, are you blessed materially? Are you one of those whose much has been committed to your life? Then get ready because Jesus also said in the same verse, to whom much is given from him much be required. How much has God committed to you? How much is in your backpack? In 2009, a movie was released entitled Up in the Air starring George Clooney. He played this downsizer by the name of Ryan Bingham who worked for a human resources consulting firm, which specialized in these corporations, would hire them, and they'd go and lay people off and fire them. That was, that was his job across the United States. But also he did uh, devotional speeches using the analogy, what's in your backpack? And in this, he's extolling the virtues of life and how relationships are. And, and he talks about material possessions and how much we rely on them and how precious they are. Let's watch. The, what he says at the end is the most important. How much does your life weigh? Imagine for a second that you're carrying a backpack. I want you to feel the straps on your shoulders. You feel them? I want you to pack it with all the stuff that you have in your life. You start with the little things, the things on shelves and the drawers, and the knickknacks, collectibles. Feel the weight as that adds up. You start adding larger stuff. Clothes, tabletop appliances, lamps, linens, your TV. Backpack should be getting pretty heavy now. You go bigger. Your couch, bed, your kitchen table. You stuff it all in there. Your car, get it in there. Your home, whether it's a studio apartment or a two-bedroom house, I want you to stuff it all into that backpack. Now try to walk. It's kind of hard, isn't it? This is what we do to ourselves on a daily basis. We weigh ourselves down until we can't even move. And make no mistake, moving is living. Now, 
I'm gonna set that backpack on fire. What do you want to take out of it? Photos? Photos are for people who can't remember. Drink some ginkgo and let the photos burn. In fact, let everything burn and imagine waking up tomorrow with nothing. It's kind of exhilarating, isn't it? Did you hear what he said concerning all the stuff that got burned up in that backpack? Kind of exhilarating, isn't it? You wouldn't have to worry about it because it'd be gone, but what do you think? The vast majority of us, it would not exhilarate us. It would completely and totally devastate us, wouldn't it? And for some of us, it, it, maybe not so much for couches and things like that. It would be sentimental things that you can't replace. But you know what? When God calls your name, you're not going to be able to take anything with you, Amen. even what you prize and treasure the most in life. Amen. I've read all kinds of bizarre stories about people when they die and wanting to be buried in cars and Cadillacs and convertibles and all kinds of stuff, but you, it's that thing you can't, you can't take it with you. And you, some of you here perhaps have lost everything. I don't know what that's like, you know. I'm losing a friend, and, but he's just moving to another part of the country, and hopefully we'll keep in touch. And as Bruce Walkup said, he hopes he, he buys this mammoth house. At least eight to ten of us can come down there and spend the winter with him. But nonetheless, that's kind of, that's kind of where we're going on, going on that. But uh, our use of possessions is an accurate barometer of our faith. This is author Wesley Wilmer in his outstanding book, God and Your Stuff. Wes clearly shows that there's a correlation between soul maturity and the use of assets, a link, if you will, between our faith and our possessions. A growing faith is ultimately expressed by a growing generosity in our giving of time, talents, and treasures. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk, how long you've been in the kingdom, how long you have believed in Christ, or maybe you haven't. That's why we, we talk about the end of our services to accept Christ. But, but nonetheless, I hope that since we've started down this path with Christ that we're a little more generous than we was in the beginning. Because we see the need. God is a giver, and he expects us to be givers too. This journey toward mature faith and stewardship consists of six stages. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ, a follower of Christ, you will see yourselves in one of these six stages. And we're not going to have you jump up and shout them out, but I just want you to kind of think about this in your mind where you're at, and maybe you need to move up a stage. Number one's an imitator, mimics other stewardship. Two's a modeler, gives sporadically when there is an example to follow. Number three, conformer, gives because of recognition, tax benefits, or other personal gain. It, it's legal to do that. A lot of people do that at the end of the year. They'll, they'll give you a bigger check because they take it off their taxes. And they'd rather give it to God than Uncle Sam, but anyhow. Individual is number four. That's the fourth stage. Gives in proportion to what God has given him and her. Five is generous giver, recognizes that all one possesses is from God and derives joy from giving. Not reluctantly, but it, it flows out of them, and, and they are really happy <laughs> to give somebody. It, many of you are like that. This is a generous place, and uh, it, it, does, it, it does something to you when you're, be able, when you're able to give things, especially when you know that it's really appreciated. We don't like it maybe when we give things to people and they don't appreciate it, but there's been a few times in my life that has stuck here and here. And we talked about this. Many of you have been to Haiti. Pastor Jeff's been down there, and we've talked about the stark difference 
from when you leave the airport in Indian, even in Miami, and when you land in Port-au-Prince and you get off that airplane, it's like walking into a totally other world. It's like going to the moon in a sense. You cannot grasp how much we have and how little they have. It works, it works on you. I know it's, it's, an emotional, it's an emotional time because we're so, so spoiled. And there was one time, uh, what amazed me, and, and some of you have been there as well with, with me, uh, is to Russia, is the difference. We, always, we don't think of Russia in that light, but there, it's getting better. But nonetheless, we went to some schools and homes. We went to this one home for women, and uh, they were off a little bit. You know, they weren't 100%, so I fit in there, actually. But anyhow, here was these women in these real skin... Uh, Thin dresses, socks, toes sticking out. They were poor, and they were cold. They were in this cold atmosphere. And there was a farmer from northern Illinois went through us, took a whole suitcase of, of ivory soap because he said God told him to do it. Now, most of us, if, I took a whole suitcase of rubber gloves, but nonetheless, you wouldn't think that. The joy that those women got on their faces when he passed out that bar of soap, and I am sure they'd never had a store-bought a whole bar of soap in their life. It, 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 made, it made me weep. Because there are these ladies, the little old ladies were sitting there, and they, they had that bar of ivory soap and just smelling it and just holding on to it. I mean, i never seen anything like that before. It, it was unbelievable. And then there was a pastor in Dimitrov, 80 miles north of Moscow, where we went. I, I, we went there a couple, three times, and I took him some ties. And he had one tie that he wore every day all the time. He said, why would you need more than one tie? That, that was, that's how they, li they, they live, is sparse and not... And we live in the land of plenty and the land of abundance. A generous giver. And then I, the, the last one was mature steward. Focuses on God and then on others. The mature steward is more concerned with treasures in heaven than on earth and is content with daily provisions regardless of what they are. Which stage are you in? Don't, don't answer that out loud, but you know, you know. To reach stage six, mature steward, you need to follow these ten biblical directives. And the first one is this. Declare who is Lord of your life once and for all. Don't claim it on Sunday and then go back and live like somebody else the rest of the week. This, this, you've got to come to a crisis in your life or a crossroads. Call it what you will. When you get to the point that 100%, 24-7, you declare the Lord is the Lord of your life and you leave it there and live for it. Two, understand what a faithful steward is. Three, count your blessings. You have more than you realize, and that is true. Uh, hardly anyone in America can say, <laughs> say that they're not blessed in some way, and I know there's some folks that's got it tough, but uh, as, a, as a rule. Number four, give to God first. Five, give to God systematically. Six, give according to your means. Seven, give cheerfully. Eight, give regularly. Nine, give to God generously but quietly. And ten, give regardless of your circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Why should I do all that, you say? Because it's, it's all God's anyway. Yeah, it's all. He, he, it belongs to him, and he can take it if he wants just like that. Many people take, experience the joy of mature Christian stewardship. And whenever stewardship is consistently modeled, it's because... Godly stewards see everything that they own or possess that it's God's. That's right. Stan Toller, uh, pastor and um, 
author says, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with having a nice car, living in a comfortable home, or dressing in the latest fashion. Unless those possessions possess us. Unless the pursuit of those things keeps us from pursuing a deeper relationship with the Lord, that's the real danger. And he goes on, and this is profound what he says here, and I quote, materialism is the enemy of faith. It replaces eternal values with valuables in one's heart allegiance. It considers the temporal more important than the eternal. People in Bible times were expected to express their commitment to God by what they gave rather than what they gained. It was to be a mark of their spiritual maturity. The standard has not changed. At the very core of our Christian faith is the acknowledgement that all material blessings are given from God. They come to us from the storehouse of his love and compassion. He is the source. Our giving is simply the supply line that channels the blessings he has already put in reserve for us. Great missionary statement, David Livingston said, I will place no value on anything I possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. I will use my possessions to promote the glory of him whom I owe all. If you've ever read anything about his life, it was an amazing life that he had sacrificed to God. He, he never raised his children. They were raised in boarding houses in England when he was in Africa. And he, his wife came over there, and she died in Africa. And the last night of his life, he died kneeling at his bed praying, and that's how they found him. One of the things about Livingston, he was buried in Westminster Abbey in London. And there was a gentleman standing at his grave weeping one day. And the guy says, what's the matter? He said, David Livingston and I were called by God on the same day. And he went and I didn't. That was the regret that he had. Luke 12, 13 through 21, Jesus tells this story of the rich fool you don't find too many places in the scripture where God calls somebody a fool, but this is one. Then someone called from the crowd, hey, teacher, please, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with us. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. And he gave an illustration. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full to overflowing, so he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store everything. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get it all? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. So this man speaks up in the crowd. He wants Jesus to side with him. Jesus doesn't go right to the point, but he makes a point here that he's talking about, about greed. I believe that was the thing about Christ when he talked to people. He, he, could look, he could look right into your heart, and you knew that he knew. You know, that's the thing. That's a different deal when you're trying to fool somebody. You don't know whether they really know or not, but with Jesus, you knew he knew. So he went right to his heart and what he was doing, he was, he was exposing, he's exposing that greed. And a lot of times when we pray, God does that to us. He exposes things and we don't like it. But we know that he's on to us and he knows what's going on and he, he wants us to change. And a lot of times God doesn't give us the answer that we want. And I think that's part of the, the things that bother us in life. Yeah. 
Jesus didn't want to deal with the inheritance issue. He just wanted to bring out the fact that this man was greedy, and he wanted to bring that up. A real life is not measured by how much we own. That's just the exact opposite of what present-day society says, isn't it? They, they look at us. They, they, we look at each other and how we're dressed or whatever. And so I always go back to that. I just, if I was president, I'd make a dress code that everyone in America had to wear bib overalls and flannel shirts. And you could wear a T-shirt under your bibs in the summer. You wouldn't have to wear them long sleeves. But nonetheless, it'd it make it a lot easier because you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say, man, what's that guy doing showing up bibs because everybody would have them on. You, you, ever, you ever go any place where they look at you because of the way you're dressed? That drives me crazy. We, we, and I talked about that when we were up in the North Country. Them girls had come in from prom, and, you know, you could about cover them with this piece of paper. And I would say, I don't care what you wear. I just want you covered. You girls go sit in the back where no one can see you. But you know what I'm saying? That's, uh, we, we do that, and we look at people, and we look at, we look at labels on stuff. And, you know, if I had a label, it'd say goofy or something like that. You know, it wouldn't. But you, you get my point on that. Advertisers spend millions of dollars to entice us to buy the best, have the best, drink the best, eat the best, on and on and on. It's it's just a constant uh, bombardment in our lives. I I don't know why they they don't use average people for commercials. They hardly ever do that. I wish they'd use me for a commercial, but it's not going to happen. But nonetheless, you you see what I'm saying? They have a way. Hollywood and Madison Avenue has a way to get this from us. And that's, that's, that's what they do. That's what they do. But he gave an illustration, 16 and 18, a rich man at a fertile farm, and he goes through that. Produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full to overflowing. So he said, I know, I'll tear my barns down and build bigger ones, then I'll have enough room to store everything. Jesus proceeded to illustrate his point that life consists of more than wealth and possessions. He had a bumper crop. His barns were overflowing, so instead of just filling them and building another one, he tore them down and built bigger ones to store everything. His basic flaw was in focusing completely on his wealth and on his own enjoyment. In the Greek, in this story, it includes the word my four times and the word I eight times. I think sometimes in our conversations with people, we can pick up kind of where they're coming from when they were, use the word I more than you. How are you? How's your family? What's going on in your life? You're growing spiritually on and on, but a lot of times it's, I did this, I did that, I've got this, I've got that. It, you, you, you can pick up on that pretty quick sometimes when, when you talk to people. And that was, that was the problem uh, uh, with this man. The story reveals the man's joy came from his things, but things do not last forever. They are very temporal. And some of the things that we buy that we want to hang on to, that we want to keep, they don't, they, don't, they don't always last forever. One of the things that I've learned in life, that every decade it seemed like, and I'm speaking for men, every decade was different for me. And in my 40s, it was a time that I wanted to be a big shot in the church, that I, I, I wanted to be known throughout the United States in our conference. So I'd go to, I was on commissions in Finley, and I'd go to these meetings and You'd never believe it, Pastor Jeff. I had about eight suits at that time. It was just, just hard to grasp, I know. But i go to these meetings, and I wanted to be, you know. But then when I turned 50, it was like walking out that door into another room. And then people mattered the most. Them suits, the, my position, it, it didn't 
matter anymore. What mattered were people, was relationships. And that, that should be one of our main things in life is what's the people in your life worth to you? I think that's, I think that's huge, actually. Well, Jesus kind of hammered this guy because he wasn't kind of thinking that way. He thought, man, I've got all this stuff put up. I can just eat and drink and be merry and, and take care of me. And it was hedonistic lifestyle. It was all self-indulgence. He wasn't planning for the future. He'd forgotten to put God in the center of his life. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you then. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Have you put God at the center of your life? As you examine this, your heart, and who you are, all you say, all you do, all you give, is God, is God in the middle of that, or does he kind of get the leftovers, the crumbs off the table after everything else is said and done? I hope you're not like the rich man that Jesus spoke about, concerned for no one but yourself. And when the time came for him to stand before God, he was nothing more than a fool. Because we're all going to stand before God. <laughs> you, you can't, we, can, we can rationalize that till the cows come home, but as sure as I'm standing on this little stage, there's going to be one day when you're going to be standing in front of the Bema seat you're not going to be on the stage. You're going to be down here, and Jesus is going to be up there in that judgment seat, and he's going to go through the book of your life and see how you live as a follower of Christ. And this is going to be an issue. I can guarantee you that. that you and I will suffer loss and reward for what we gave or what we didn't give. He's going to bring it up. And that's the funny thing about Tony Campolo. I said, oh, man, the, the, the Bema seat They'll probably show a video of my life, and I hope my mom's not there. That was his point, you know. He didn't want his mom, but we're, that's, that's where we're going to end up someday. And it is wise. Don't get me wrong. It's wise to plan for the future. Fully invested pension plans and adequate life insurance are practically synonymous with wide stewardship. We should try to provide for ourselves as we get older. At the same time and with the same resolve, because life is more than money, God wants us to be generous of what he's put in our hands. God has blessed us here. People have asked me on numerous occasions, how do you, what do you attribute the success of Crossroads Community Church to? I said, well, all the glory goes to the Father because he lives as his show. He's in charge. I was just happy to be along for the ride. But I do believe that a huge amount of our success has been because we have been generous. We have been a generous folk. We have given money and, and we have helped people and we've, we've given money in Haiti and, and on around the world in different places and God has blessed us abundantly for that. So God bless you folks for being, being givers. As God blesses us with fortune, um, it's hard for us when we're on that road, not to, to hang on maybe to more than we should because uh, we live in this world and that's the way things seem to, be, to come out. But there are roadblocks that keep us from being what we should be in Christ. And here are a few of those. Sometimes we have resistance. It's a lack of surrender to Christ 
And we see ourselves as the masters of our own destiny, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. Self-centeredness, a lack of humility. Fear, a lack of trust. Doubt, a lack of faith. Indifference, a lack of obedience. Excuses, a lack of commitment. As Swindoll said, an excuse is a lie wrapped in the skin of reason. Complacency, a lack of vision. Apathy, a lack of passion. Procrastination, a lack of urgency. Inconsistency, a lack of focus or discipline. Confusion, a lack of information. We need to recognize these in our lives and deal with them. To overcome them, we have to do these. We have to surrender our lives totally to Christ, see a lost world through his eyes, diligently study and faithfully obey his word, seek the Holy Spirit's guidance in every decision we make, stay focused on Christ, act on his mandate to make disciples of all nations. Jesus reminds us, much is required from those to whom much is given. And much more is required from those whom is given much. So that's the link between faith and fortune. It's generosity. So I ask you this morning in closing, are you a giver? You know that in your own heart. Maybe some of these roadblocks are kind of holding you back. You need to pray about that. With these steps, surrender our lives to Christ. See a lost world through his eyes. Diligently study and faithfully obey his word. Seek the Holy Spirit's guidance in every decision. Stay focused on Christ. Act on his mandate to make disciples of all nations. Father, we love you. And we thank you for being so good to us. And Holy Spirit, may you constantly remind us of all the good things that we have, that they all came from you. And we should give you praise and glory for that, Lord. And we should seek your face on how you want us to distribute the things in our lives that you've given us with our time and our talent and our treasure. I thank you for loving us, Lord. And We thank you, God, for sending this brother to us, and what a blessing he has been. And I know that he has been to me, that he's he's blessed my heart. And now you've got him on another adventure, him and Belinda. So I just pray, God, that you continue to give him guidance and direction, that that you'd help him find the house that they they, they like, Lord, and that the transition may be smooth. And be with their children and their families and and his mother, Lord, as they deal with this move as well. I just lift this guy up to you and just pray that you bless him abundantly for we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.